Hello, listeners. Welcome to this week's episode of Make the Shift with the Legal Work. This week, we are chatting with Devorah Snyder, and I'll just recall uh, how I met her. I met her earlier this year when I was um, on a school trip, and we went to Tel Aviv, and that's where I met her in Tel Aviv, Israel. And good, hi, well, it's morning here in New York right now, so good morning, Devorah. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Tiani. Well, uh, really excited to be chatting with you again after we met uh, earlier this year. And in our brief discussion, we spoke about just how much the world has, it doesn't even feel like we met this year with everything that's been happening recently. Uh, so I'm really excited to have you on board. And Devorah, please um, uh, give us a, a brief introduction on yourself and your career so far. Sure. Um, so I, my name is Devorah Snyder. Uh, I'm a, an associate with Greenberg Traurig. We are an international law firm. I am currently practicing out of Greenberg Charge Tel Aviv office. Uh, I'm a senior associate in the IT and emerging technologies department. Although I previously practiced at Greenberg Charge, um, in Greenberg Charge Atlanta office in the financial services group. So my background is in secured lending um, and I do a bit of a hybrid practice now. Okay, all right. That's a really uh, impressive career that you've had moving from the United States um, to now working in Israel. And uh, just one question, maybe just to, for people to kind of get a little bit of context as to uh, what was your interest in getting into the legal industry? Uh, you know, I think to be really Frank, a lot of people in the United States, after finishing their bachelor's degree at university, especially those who are in the liberal arts, may not have a precise idea of what they want to do. And a legal um, degree, at least when I was graduating um, from undergrad, was kind of thought of as a great fallback option. And to be really honest, that's why I went to law school originally. I had some ideas of areas I was interested in. I knew I wanted to do something um, maybe international, cross-border, international relations that, you know, I wasn't too sure. Um, but law school actually really helped me to figure that out by just a way of a fluke. I signed up for a corporate, um, basic corporate law or corporation, something like that, um, my first year um, when I was in Michigan. And I just really loved the class. I, I felt like, um, you know, I think it spoke to maybe my background interest in math and finance. Um, and so I kind of started looking into areas where I could be pursuing um, the lending work and the transactional work. And, uh, and then it just kind of took off from there. You know, um, I actually graduated law school um, just as the 2008 recession had started taking hold in the United States. And that certainly dictated um, where I began my practice and where I continued. Um, and it was really just an organic uh, generation of my career, starting out first in finance and then ultimately ending up um, across the world in an emerging technologies practice. Wow. Uh, that is such an interesting uh, and very, I'd almost say, um, serendipitous way in which your career then developed from like an interest in international relations to you now actually having an international career. So it really all worked out uh, really, really amazingly. 
And you mentioned that you graduated in uh, 2008. That's, you're the, you're the second person that you've actually spoken to who was starting their legal career around that time. And um, maybe towards the end, we'll ask you for a few pieces of advice that you'd have for people that are like myself. I'm a graduate of 2020 who are graduating into like a, a, a world or an economy that, that kind of looks like this. But let's talk a little bit more about your current switch from moving to, from, at, well, Atlanta. When I spoke to you, well, I know that you were working out of, out of Atlanta and then to Tel Aviv. And what motivated you to make the switch from one city to another? Sure. So, um, well, I actually graduated at the end of 2009 as the 2008 recession was um, taking hold in the United States. And so, although my original plan was to um, practice at a law firm in the Chicago area where my parents and sister live, um, I got an offer to practice in Atlanta, Georgia. And I thought to myself, why not? As you said, you know, serendipitous, I'm, I've always been someone to kind of um, you know, make um, planned choices, but at the same time, allow for opportunities to present themselves. So that's how I originally got to Atlanta, Georgia. And then I was there for um, several years. And towards the end of my time in Atlanta, not realizing it was the end of my time in Atlanta, I got an offer to move from the firm I was originally at to Greenberg Traurig across town and uh, to continue my practice and secure lending. And I just had a really great vibe with the people that I interviewed with and heard great things about the firm. So I figured, why not? And I, I switched to Greenberg Targ. And then um, about a year after I started at GT's Atlanta office, um, I was on a family trip to Israel uh, for a cousin's wedding. And um, I really just had a bit of a personal aha moment um, I had spent a lot of time growing up on and off, visiting family and studying in uh, Israel, especially in the Tel Aviv area. Um, I'd also done my clerkship when I was in law school um, at the Israeli Supreme Court. And I'd always had a personal interest in, um, in living here. And as I said, I tended to let my legal career follow the, you know, the, the traditional path that was sweeping me up in the United States, which was you go to law school and then you started a law firm and you either stay there or you lateral to another law firm. And I had done that. But um, this trip just kind of reminded me of, um, I don't want to say childhood dreams, but of just a personal dreams of living here. I really just had a very personal connection. And, um, and I made that decision to you know, to make that leap. Um, I didn't know at the time that it was going to be an opportunity for me to work at the GT Tel Aviv office. It was a very new office at that point, and there were not any associates um, working here. And so my original thought was that I would move and study for the Israeli bar and, um, and practice in an Israeli law firm. And talk about serendipitous, um, a few weeks before I left Atlanta, um, I was basically presented with an opportunity to come to GT's Tel Aviv office as an associate and start working, although in a totally different practice group. And I took a leap of faith and said, you know, technology sounds interesting. Israel is a bastion of startup and technology work. And why not? And that's, 
think the long and short of how I got to be here. First of all, I absolutely love the way that you spoke about and brought in the fact that you had a personal interest and a personal motivation in wanting to make that move because a lot of times uh, when people are like considering making moves, there's normally, it's more around like, this is what's practical. I'm making this decision because this is what makes financial sense. Uh, it's so, um, it's really interesting to hear. And you saying that you were making the decision from really like a, from a whole person perspective, as opposed to a commercial motivation, a motivation to get a promotion or, or something of that sort. And a lot of times, well, for myself, at least it's, um, having growing, looking at your career through just like a, a very narrow sense as opposed to looking at it from it being fulfilling uh, completely. So I really, really applaud you doing something like that. And then you said that you really started out in the technology industry, which was kind of a, a slight uh, outside of what might've been your original um, practice area. What were some of your apprehensions or did you have any apprehensions kind of making that shift? So now you're moving from one city to another city, to and from one country to another country, from one practice area to a new practice area. Uh, can you maybe just talk about some of your thinking in that? And um, maybe as you're making those various transitions, um, what are some of the resources that you relied on in terms of community? Did you have uh, mentorship that was helping you as you were kind of making so many changes at, at, at once? How did you kind of walk through that journey in, on so many facets? Sure. Um, you know, I think I think it was a, a lot of things. I mean, uh, to your first question in terms of um, apprehension, switching practice areas. I think that that's something that anyone switching practice area, whether it's in the United States or or any um, country, um, would of course have apprehensions. But there's also interest levels. Uh, you know, one of the things that occurred to me um, when I was asked if I wanted take the position with the IP and technology group was your know, technology at its core is, is a constantly evolving area. And I felt that unlike certain other practice areas where someone maybe needed to um, have more of um, a background, maybe a, a bachelor's degree or um, having taken, for example, a patent bar, things like that, um, regulatory work and, and IP transactional work is, is ever changing. Um, the industry is constantly changing, and to be top of your field, you have to stay on top of that change. And I felt like in a way that gave me an advantage in terms of a learning curve, because although I was coming in without much of a background at that point, I felt that if I really applied myself, I would be able to kind of learn along with all of my colleagues in the field as things were changing. So, for example, I was very fortuitous that I um, came into the practice area before um, I do a lot of data privacy work and I um, joined the technology um, group back in 2014 so it was well before the GDPR legislation started um, really being put into place and so I was able to learn about GDPR study the regulatory changes um, be aware of it and counsel my clients um, in GDPR and with respect to GDPR as it was really being implemented. 
So, um, you know, so that was, that was actually an advantage in a way, um, given the practice area that I switched into. Um, in terms of um, mentorship, you know, I think, as you said, it's, it's really important, especially when you're switching um, offices, practice areas, countries, as I was, that you have a great support system, both personal and professional. Um, when I moved here, um, although it was a personal decision, one thing that played into it was the fact that I felt a bit as though being um, on my own, being single and not having children, I had a little bit more flexibility to kind of, to what you said, uh, pick up and just change my life over because it was a, a calculated risk, I, I guess you could say, um, that I was taking only for myself and it wasn't impacting anyone else um, in that sense. So I felt a little bit safer almost, um, but it did, the flip side of that coin, it did mean that I was moving to a foreign country um, on my own without family and without a partner. Um, and so while I didn't have that personal um, support system that I would have in the United States, um, I do have uh, a fair number of uh, cousins um, on both my mother and father's side here in Israel. So that provided some immediate personal support. Um, I have a very close cousin who um, he and his, at that time, brand new wife of uh, six months, the two of them were more than happy to open their home to me and let me live with them for a month while I found my own apartment. So I will forever be grateful for that. And then what I think really made the transition a lot easier for me was actually the, the professional community that I moved into. Um, as I mentioned, I was at Greenberg Targ in the United States and then came to Greenberg Targ here in Israel. And one of the amazing things about being part of a firm with such a global footprint and platform is that we really have offices almost everywhere. And by um, being able to switch within the same firm, there were a lot of things that were just familiar to me, you know, different kinds of technology that our firm uses, our various billing platforms, all the things that you have to learn new every time you transfer or lateral between firms. I didn't really have to do that here. And I also had a lot more um, leeway in speaking with my, um, my um, colleagues here in the Tel Aviv office before I moved. It wasn't, you know, sometimes when people lateral, they feel like they have to do everything in secret because they're basically leaving one firm and going to another. And they can't really be open and ask questions as easily as they'd like when they're at their, you know, old firm, for lack of a better term. And, and here I didn't have to do that. You know, I was able to just call and work with everyone. And the office staff here and in Atlanta were amazing about helping me transition. I mean, even down to um, getting my computer screen um, getting permission to kind of bring equipment from one office across the world to another office. I'm a big, big fan of using a monstrous computer monitor so I can split it 15 different ways when I'm reviewing documents. And, uh, and everyone was kind enough to help me make that happen here. And it was a wonderful little perk of uh, being, you know, within the same office. So it, it was just a lot of support on every front from the firm. I think that is there is that definite advantage in keeping within the same firm, but at the same time not uh, minimizing a lot of the changes that you also had to make as well um, in terms of the adjustment. So I think that was really incredible. That was really brave, and um, I well from when I met you and clearly in our conversation now, you really did make uh, the right decision. And then if there is someone who's listening to this right now. I mean, like, I mean, I'm, I'm also asking for myself because I've moved from 
South Africa and I'm now in New York and I'm trying to get a career going in a new country. Um, what advice would you have for someone who is making a shift? And I'm also trying to start up in a, in a new practice area, a little bit similar to the space that you're talking about or what you work in in terms of data privacy. Um, what advice would you have for someone who is contemplating or going through that, that making a transition like you did? What are like some core things you would recommend, like you should prepare X and prepare yourself for Y? Um, well, in terms of shifting practice, you know, moving practice areas, I think it just really depends what you're moving from and what you're moving to. And obviously it depends on whether that shift is um, with an eye to fulfilling a personal goal or, you know, as you mentioned, some people do it for um, promotional purposes or other people have interest in the practice area. So I, I think that's really just a case-by-case -case basis. Um, you know, I'm assuming if somebody, for example, wanted to switch from litigation to transactional work, they would either have uh, a major interest, um, they just found that they liked doing it more, or um, they were told that they had better um, professional career opportunities. So I, I, I can't necessarily speak to that so much because to be really transparent, my practice area switch was more of a function of me moving abroad and wanting to stay with the firm that I was very happy with. Now, I got lucky. Um, I love my practice area. I still have um, a fond place in my professional heart for um, finance work, and I do a lot of um, the finance-related and transactional work for colleagues here, for and with colleagues here in our office, as well as in our similar U.S. offices, so that I'm able to kind of use my background um, as well as the technology transactional work I do. Um, in terms of making a switch to another country, again, it's obviously case by case. I think a lot of it depends on how much you, time you've spent in that country beforehand. Um, you know, somebody's just moving to another country because of, uh, you know, career-wise it makes the most sense. Um, that, you know, that's something that I would suggest just reading up and, and if possible, maybe taking a kind of a, what would be the right word, like a litmus test trick to check out how you feel about your environment. I had the, um, the pleasure of having spent a lot of time here before, and it was the whole reason that I was moving here. So I was familiar with a lot of the cultural differences that come from switching countries. One thing I think that is really, really important, um, if you're moving to a country other than, if you're moving countries and the country that you're moving to, that you're relocating to, does not have as its main language the country of the, uh, the language of the country that you're currently in. I would suggest that you take some time or put aside, plan some time during the move to learn some basics. So, for example, um, you know, most people in Israel speak English, especially in the technology field and industries. Having said that, I find that I have much warmer um, perceptions and capabilities when I can speak with people um, in Hebrew. I spoke some Hebrew before I came here, but even though I did, I chose to take what's called an ulpan. It's an, um, it's an uh, Hebrew language immersion course. Um, and I took that class two nights a week, um, my first year and a half when I was here. And I made sure to speak with the leadership of our office here and explain how important it was to me. They obviously agreed. Um, and that helped me both personally and professionally, right? Because 
everyone from, you know, a cab driver to a shop owner to a potential client is going to appreciate when you can speak to them in their native language. So um, I think that's something that was really helpful. That's true. Um, I have a, my partner, my, who records the podcast with me, she's currently based in France at the moment. Uh, and that's where she's working out in Paris. So she also did quite a bit of work in terms of um, learning French. Um, and that has been something that's been super helpful for her. So I, I totally understand where that's coming from. And then you already touched on this while well, you work in the technology space and your firm, like you mentioned, has since you, you remained in the same law firm, you are using a lot of the same technology that you're using here. But in your own managing your own practice on your giant screen, um, how, are you, how have you been able to leverage on what, what technologies or have you been leveraging on technology to make your work easier and how did, you know, working in a international firm, I guess having like the same systems, I'm sure the integration was pretty seamless from like one office to the next. And now I guess working out in, in, in Tel Aviv, has there been any new um, interesting ways that you are incorporating and using technology in your work? Yeah, I mean, I think um, one thing about uh, when we say technology, there's, you know, kind of a split between devices and then um, platforms. If you're using an application or if you're using firm-provided um, platforms, and there's just so many, I, I honestly wouldn't know where to start. Um, I guess just as a general matter, Israelis, um, like many Americans, tend to really favor LinkedIn. Um, so for me, it's important uh, to connect with people. I've had more and more frequently um, at conferences and talks um, that I've given people coming up and asking if we can bump LinkedIn uh, profiles so that they don't even exchange business cards anymore. Um, I think it's important to take advantage of um, all of the online webinars and platforms that are becoming, especially in the last few months, really popular. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like a big time difference to me now, uh, but there is a seven hour time difference with East Coast and Tel Aviv and then, you know, in, in California, even larger. So I think um, finding ways to build um, a balance into your personal and professional life so that you can be available. For example, when there are tons of great webinars going on in the United States at lunchtime, that's around evening time here. And, um, you know, just making sure that I'm setting up things so that I can jump onto one of those if, if something pops up on my calendar um, in my practice area or, you know, something I'm focusing on. Um, and I think one tip for anyone who's um, moving or working internationally that I would share, I've gotten very fond of using the world clock portion of the iPhone clock app. Um, I basically put on buttons for every city where um, my firm or every time zone where my firm has an office as well as where I have um, clients. So that anytime I'm not sure what time frame might work for a meeting or a discussion, um, I can just jump on there and I was like, okay, in Sydney, that time would work, but it wouldn't work for the Tokyo party that's going to be on the call. So we have to actually look at a different time. So I find that to be actually super helpful. Thank you. I'm gonna take that away because, well, as you know, being out on the East Coast, and they, I have a lot of calls with people on the West Coast and I just find myself counting on my fingers and um, that can be quite disastrous. So thank you. I'm definitely gonna activate that portion. 
And, and I want us to kind of touch a little bit more in terms of um, mentorship um, and the role of mentorship, kind of in a, uh, from your career specific perspective. When we came to your office, we had an awesome time uh, and really great lunch. Thank you so much for feeding us. Um, with your at your firm i hope you enjoyed was it something good i don't remember <laughs> it was something really good i felt like all the food i ate in tel aviv was was really really good um we have great food that's yeah, a challenge i encountered trying to say no to every amazing food opportunity comes up <laughs> it did it reminded me of like and i feel like people in south africa will relate to this like we have like like soggy chips um whereas i feel like in america like the fur the fries are really firm <laughs> like we have like really soggy um fries and um that was something that i was like oh this reminds me of home a lot of the food actually did remind me of um, <laughs> south africa that was a really special moment for me like yes these like really soggy chips <laughs> and i probably shouldn't be really sure about I things like that, that. <laughs> i'll have to check that out <laughs> We do have biltong here, by the way. We have enough enough South African expats here that we have some great biltong options. Wow, so, and you actually say it perfectly, perfect pronunciation. Uh, I don't know why you guys did it. You see, now now I'm hurt because I didn't get a biltong offer. I guess like, this means I'm going to come back again. Um, next time you come back, we'll make sure to have some ready and waiting. Thank you. Um, so from a, a mentorship perspective, do you have... Um, how have you been building those relationships? Have you got a, is it through mentorship in, in your law firm? Have you got relationships that you've kind of grown maybe with women in the industry that have been helping you? And do you now as a senior associate, how do you then take your relationship or kind of your responsibility in quotes um, to mentor and bring in the next uh, crop of attorneys under you? Sure. I think, um, Mentorship is a huge component of um, my professional practice, and I think it should be, and I would advise any newer junior um, attorney as well to reach out and find mentors if an option is not, or an opportunity is not necessarily presented. So luckily, again, you know, uh, Greenberg has um, has a very strong um, formal mentorship program throughout the firm. We get monthly um, updates and, um, you know, practice kind of, um, not practice tips, but um, mentorship exercises, right? So that they, they suggest, because understandably, if you're working with the same person over and over, you can't just sit there every single week or every single month and say, let's sit down and talk about you being my mentor. That's kind of uh, an outdated way, I think, of looking at it. So I think GT really does make an effort to both pair people um, on a mentorship level and provide um, some structure to that formal mentorship relationship. And I think it's really important that if there is something built in that you take opportunities presented to you. I was, you know, of course, lucky enough to be presented with a mentorship opportunity with the head of our um, emerging technology department. And he has and continues to be a great resource um, in terms of learning more about the um, background and history of our practice, as well as current and changing things. He's just really an expert in the field in so many facets um, and verticals that um, I, you know, I couldn't do it without him. Um, and then I think looking for informal um, mentors, just that kind of, you, you just have to keep an eye out and they pop up both in your professional practice and kind of your, your networking, uh, the networking portion of one's career. So for example, um, I would say that some of my 
informal mentors, meaning that they weren't assigned as part of the, the firm's mentorship program, have come up by way of work that I do for some of our partners in the United States. Um, we do a lot of um, cross-office uh, work, and so I found a lot of um, assistance on that end. Um, and then um, I think also when you network and you find people that you connect with, whether it be through um, professional women's organizations or technology industry um, uh, occurrences, things like that, I think it's important to take those opportunities and have them. Um, and I think that someone can be a mentor both in terms of, um, you know, learning more about your practice area. I think also in law firms where there's such a structured um, kind of uh, career level hierarchy type of situation, it's really important to learn about the administrative and managerial parts that come as your career grows. So junior and mid-level associates aren't really um, taught about managing um, actual administrative tasks that come with building a client base, but it suddenly pops up one day. You know, we are groomed and encouraged to um, develop our client network and um, and then one day it's oh you know um, I need to draft an engagement letter and I need to speak with the client about a bill that they got or I want to make sure that I'm properly preparing the bill and things like that and so I think to that sense um, a lot of mentor informal mentorship work can be very helpful um, and just kind of managing client relationships you know questions will always come up for for associates who are newer to that um, area of the practice. Um, and then I think most importantly is also making sure you get back. So whether you do that with junior and mid-level attorneys in your own firm, whether you do that through um, community organizations or um, professional organizations, uh, something that I've taken part in in the past are industry uh, women-focused professional groups um, where I've um, offered assistance and mentoring. I've also worked with um, some organizations here in Israel that are not necessarily legal in nature, but they encourage women from underprivileged uh, sectors of the society here to take um, careers in technology. So even though it's not legal, it speaks to my professional background. Um, and, and just finding other ways to become a leader while you're still open to receiving guidance and, and mentorship from others is, is just a really important balance to strike. I completely agree with you on finding that balance of being able to have someone pour into you and while you are also like pouring into someone else as well, just to remain a conduit and um, just ready to, to help and also ready to receive so that the way that you are helping is also more helpful um, to other people. And so far, um, well, I'm going to just kind of take a, a switch at the moment, just as we're kind of like winding down now. And um, on our podcast and in the conversations that we have, we really, we really want to encourage people to um, also be vulnerable to the extent that you're comfortable in maybe discussing something that's been really difficult in making the shift and making the, all of these, you know, in making these shifts and what are instances maybe where you've, you know, had a type of failure in something where you've doubted yourself on this journey and some of the steps or practices or beliefs that you've then had to adopt to overcome um, like the lessons that you basically came out with from facing that challenge or like any type of difficulty that you've gone through in 
making the shift? Yeah, yeah, I think um, just kind of going back to some of the things that we discussed, um, obviously when you're in, in a new country, there's going to be new cultural um, norms, whether it's at a personal level or professional level, and just being really aware of your surroundings and, and adapting to those to the extent that you can do so while still remaining true to your own beliefs and your strengths. I think all of that's really important. I know that in the beginning when I moved here and I would go to conferences and meetups and things like that, trying to professionally network, I felt like I wasn't necessarily connecting with people as much as I could. And through the years, you know, looking back, I, I've come to realize that it's a number of things that um, were on me to adjust, such as improving my um, language skills. Um, I think also, you know, Israelis tend to be a lot more casual, both in appearance and in demeanor. So not taking things um, maybe as formally, um, whether it's, again, communication-wise or dress, as I would have in the United States, um, coming from, uh, you have to remember, coming from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, working in the banking in the, uh, industry, um, you know, where most of my clients sorry, in the finance practice where most of my clients were in the banking industry, our events were always buttoned down and business casual at the very least, if not more formal. Um, and I um, maybe not widely dedicated um, one of my three suitcases. You know, when you moved here, you were allowed to bring three suitcases. You were given an extra one. Um, I, I dedicated one of them to office wear. And you know, six months in, I realized that it was really a waste of luggage space because most people here don't wear suits every day, definitely not to client meetings. Um, T-shirts and jeans can be worn by anyone, including I have, you know, CEOs of client companies come in in um, T-shirts and jeans and, and flip-flops or sneakers. So, um, you know, being open to kind of shifting with the um, professional cultural environment is, is really important. Um, and also being more assertive. Israelis tend to be very forthright, um, speak their mind. And I think that, you know, uh, in the United States, especially in the South, where I had been practicing before, um, people are not as assertive as Israelis are. And so that was something that I definitely learned to become more comfortable and confident about. Um, and just really giving advice and counsel to clients straight. They don't want things, uh, you know, padded or, um, you know, given nicely. They just want to hear the bottom line. It's what we call here in Israel's talkless. They want to know the bottom line. So not being afraid to, to share that because in this professional environment, that's what the client wants. Wow. Can you please say that word again so that we can all learn a Hebrew word? Yes. It, I, I, I'm not sure if it's Hebrew or if it's Yiddish. I think it is Hebrew. It's called talkless. It's a kind of a a difficult word for non-native speakers because of the h sound in the middle. <laughs> um, and it just means bottom line, like give it to me straight. Straight no chaser. Well, it's too early to be saying statements like that in New York. But yes, I agree with that. Um, it, making the cultural shift as well, like moving from South Africa to the US, I've also had to adopt to um, making a cultural shift. In, this, in New York, people are also pretty... Uh, straightforward about things and uh, you are you have to learn how to address people be very specific about what you want no too much pleasantries and too many um, 
you know, like to padding the conversation, like just get, get to the point, be specific, and people will be very quick to tell you, yes, they can help you, or no, they can't, and you keep it moving. So it's one of the things that I've also definitely had to, um, to make an adjustment to. Uh, and last, uh, one of our last um, questions towards the end, what would your younger self be most proud of right now? Uh, the younger self that went to Tel Aviv or went to Israel, other, other parts of Israel and, you know, made a commitment that, wow, I'd really like to, to live. What would that younger self be really proud of right now? I'm going to actually predate your, your question and say what my younger self from, from high school would be most proud of. Um, I think, as I would mentioned, I had first gotten familiar with living in Israel um, by doing some study abroad when I was younger. In 10th grade, um, I came to a boarding school here for a few months, and I really, really loved my time here. Um, I think it was a combination of the country and my first time kind of being independent and on my own. And... Um, you know, I, I recall that we used to have these these free evenings where we were allowed to leave campus and go to this big shopping mall right um, at the center of the Tel Aviv business area called Azraeli Mall. Now, Azraeli Mall is housed in one of three buildings that make up the Azraeli Center. And I remember going um, to the mall with my classmates, and we were all at the food court, and then seeing all these people dressed in business wear and um, walking to offices, and I just remember kind of daydreaming at that point, and I was 15, you know, wow, it would be really cool to live here and, you know, go work in a big office building like that, and if you fast forward 20 years, um, just by way, again, of, you know, serendipity, um, it turns out that Greenberg Charge offices are housed in one of the three buildings that make up Azraeli Center, and I think if I was able to tell my 15-year-old self that 20 years later, I'd be working in a career I really enjoyed in a practice area that really interests me and working in that big shiny office building, building my practice and my career and uh, living a few blocks from the beach, which was always a goal of mine as, as a young adult. I think I'd just be really happy that I'd kind of made it in, in my 15 year old mind. So that, that's kind of a little background story. There. That is so beautiful. And that is, you know, we're actually going to, I'm going to call it right now. We're titling this um, episode. Serendipity. <laughs> that's the name of this episode, because that's really what this has like, just that golden thread has just like come through and in terms of personal conviction, professional preparation, and, you know, just being ready to meet the opportunity. Um, and where can people keep up with you if they want to find out more about you and, uh, and your career and everything that's happening? How can they reach out to you? Sure. Um, you know, I'm always happy for people to email me if anyone has questions or um, is interested in learning more about our practice, our firm, practicing U.S. law in Israel. I'm, I'm always available for that. So email is a great way. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well. We have a wonderful blog that our um, marketing team keeps top notch here. Um, it's the Israel GT blog. So there's a lot on there. Both myself and my colleagues contribute. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's all, that's all available. Okay. Um, well, I think I'll just kind of, um, well, what we're going to move on to now is our rapid fire round, uh, sure. which is just say the first thing that comes to your mind. The first thing that comes to your mind, just the first thing, uh, no editing. So, right, uh, what is the first, what is one thing you want to change about the legal industry? 
something on it. Whoa. Um, more Is that question hard? I feel like people always... Background. Sorry, I feel like people always get shocked by that. They're like, wow, that's a really hard question. Maybe we should make it a, a bigger question. But sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. It's just that that's normally the response. People are like, wow, that's a really hard question. So... I'm thinking maybe we should move that question. <laughs> but um, sorry, please go for it. What is one thing you want to change about the legal industry? Um, I think more access. Um, I think there's a lot of amazing organizations out there right now trying to provide representation for people of all walks of life, but those organizations can always be more supported, can be built on and expanded. Mm. So I think taking okay. our education and our training and, and making it accessible to people from all different walks of life is really, really important. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, well, we, you kind of touched on this. Uh, now that you've been making the shift in terms of uh, getting more into the Israeli work culture, um, what now is your go-to power outfit? If people come to the office and they find Devorah in this outfit, they know that she means business today. What is your go-to power outfit? So it might sound funny to people practicing in the United States, but um, anything that I can wear that looks good and doesn't stain or wrinkle easily is definitely <laughs> my power outfit. I think some people might say that because they don't like doing laundry. For me, it's more that I don't have a car here. Tel Aviv is a very foot and public transportation friendly city. And as you might imagine, being in the Middle East, it can get very hot and very mm -hmm. humid. So I, um, I enjoy walking to and from work, um, which is several miles and sometimes, especially in summer heat, clothing can get dusty, it can get wrinkled, things like that. So I'm very careful when I shop to make sure that my stuff looks presentable and professional, but also um, is very durable. I like that. Um, what is your biggest email pet peeve? When people don't include um, contact uh, capabilities in their footer, like if there's no phone number or website and they just put a name, it's like how... Besides responding to this email, how can I get in touch with you? Mm. So. Got you. Uh, what's your most used emoji? My most what? Most used emoji. Uh, the sideways laughing, like the one that looks like you're just completely breaking up with laughter. <laughs> Not enough to just cry. You have to be sideways when crying. <laughs> I like that. Um, complete the sentence. I can't stop spending money on. Pre-cut fruit. Right. I feel that. We have amazing, amazing produce here. Um, a lot of our produce is grown within the country, which is about the size of New Jersey, smaller. So it's really readily available. Um, and we have all of these green grocers um, all over the city that will take um, fruit and, and pre-cut and package it. So you can just pick it up and eat it as a snack on the go. And it's wildly expensive, but super delicious and convenient. Yes. Um... And at the top of my playlist is? My playlist was recently deleted by accident. So it's Ooh. downloading as we speak. And I have a lot of old stuff. Um, I think I saw uh, Pearl Jam and Tribe Called Quest on there. Okay. <laughs> well, well uh, I wish you all the best in recovering your music. Uh, that is something I, I can feel. That's a pain I don't want to experience. So I, I really sympathize with you on that. Yeah, thank you very much. It was, it was a sad day. It was a sad day. <laughs> well, Devorah, thank you so much for, um, for your time today and just your generosity with your story and your generosity in sharing how your career has been um, progressing. Super excited that you are open to this um, conversation and just so grateful to 
um, to you for, for just showing up for us and, and sharing your work, lifestyle, and journey. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to hearing more of these uh, recordings and seeing what the legal work has to offer. You guys are just doing an amazing job. Really, really thank, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for joining us for this week's episode of Make the Shift with the Legal Work. We look forward to hearing from you and we would absolutely love your feedback on this episode. You can hit us up on email at editor at thelegalwork.com or make sure that you're following us on LinkedIn. Reach out to us there or on our Instagram, all under The Legal Work. In addition, please make sure that you are subscribed to the blog and make sure that you register to receive the weekly newsletter where we discuss all things that pertain to work, lifestyle, and journey. Make sure that if you enjoy this, you send this to your friends and your colleagues, everyone that you stand around the water cooler with so that you guys can discuss this and send those discussions back to us. Also, if there's anyone that you think would be absolutely incredible or whose work, life, and journey you admire in the legal industry, let us know. We would love to know them too. And maybe you might hear them on this podcast. Thank you so much. And we wish you an amazing week.